I'm Bonnie Lin, Director of the China Power Project and Senior Fellow for Asian Security at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. In this episode of the China Power Podcast, we're discussing China's views of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the potential lessons China may learn. Since Russia's invasion of Ukraine on February 24, 2022, China has been closely watching Russian diplomatic, economic, and military operations, as well as Ukrainian resistance and U.S. and NATO activities. Many experts have questioned the extent to which Russia's invasion of Ukraine could help China prepare for a potential invasion of Taiwan. Although it is still early and the Ukraine crisis has not ended, there is already significant speculation on what lessons China might be taking away from the evasion. Joining us to discuss these questions is Dr. Tong Zhao. Dr. Zhao is a senior fellow in the Nuclear Policy Program at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. He is based in Beijing. His research focuses on strategic security issues such as nuclear weapons policy, deterrence, arms control, nonproliferation, missile defense, hypersonic weapons, and China's security and foreign policy. He serves on the board of directors of the Asia-Pacific Leadership Network for Nuclear Nonproliferation and Disarmament, and on the advisory board of the Missile Dialogue Initiative. Dr. Zhao is also an associate editor of Science and Global Security and is a member of the International Panel on Fissile Materials. Tong, thank you very much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. So our topic today is uh, how China views the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So let me just start there. If Could you give us, from your opinion, how you see China viewing the conflict? Are there conflicting views in China, or are um, some views more dominant than others? I think uh, China is certainly still evaluating the situation and its potential uh, implications for China. So the views are changing over time. Uh, initially, the views were more optimistic. Many people believe it will have a positive impact on China's uh, strategic interests, will help extend China's period of strategic opportunity. It would help distract United States and Western countries, maybe even create divisions between uh, among Western countries. Uh, China will learn a lot of useful military lessons. But over time, I think many of the assessments are being reflected upon. I think now the views are more nuanced and more complicated. There are, of course, a lot of diversity in terms of the assessments. So maybe I think I'll be able to offer a more accurate assessment after, uh, after the situation clarifies a bit more and after Chinese experts have come to a more consensus on the situation and on its implications. So what is causing this evolution or change in Chinese views? Is it just watching the conflict unfold or is it as Chinese experts are seeing how other countries are responding? What is driving this change that you're talking about? Well, firstly, is the situation on the battlefield. Uh, I think Chinese experts were very much surprised by how things unfolded on the battlefield. Uh, they were also surprised by a lot of other things, uh, international response, Russians' capacity or incapacity to respond to, to those external pressure, and how all of that directly or indirectly seem to affect China's economic, political, and uh, diplomatic interests. 
I think just you know because situation is so fluid and China is constantly evaluating how its own response is being received uh, internationally and constantly readjusting and refining it, its tactics uh, to respond. So the whole situation is viewed as as very much uh, in development. So people's views also change very frequently uh, and constantly. So you mentioned a diversity of views, at least for those of us sitting in D.C. and looking at the Chinese assessment of the invasion, and particularly the Chinese assessment of Russia's role. At least there doesn't seem to be much diversity in the official Chinese view of what is the correct cause, the root cause of the conflict, and Russia's role. Is there a diversity of views, at least among Chinese thinkers, on Russia's role, whether Russia is winning or losing this conflict from a strategic perspective, not the military perspective? I think the official Chinese view does represent the mainstream Chinese view. It is, uh, you know, widely shared within the expert community.、Uh, people genuinely believe that Western countries are responsible for the war. They really believe that Russia was forced into、uh, launching this war. And they really believe in the so-called Nazi problem in Ukraine. They really believe that Ukraine leadership was also responsible by allowing、uh, themselves to be played as a card by Western countries. They really believe that Western countries, you know, are fueling this war. Especially the United States is benefiting from this war, and、uh, they want to use this opportunity to eventually weaken and cripple Russia. So I think those are genuine Chinese perspectives. Of course, there are other minor perspectives too.、Uh, some people, you know,、uh, think you know Russia is aggressor and is responsible for you know making this、uh, big mistake、uh, to go to war,、uh, and all all of this will very negatively hurt Chinese long-term strategic interests. But those views are clearly、uh, marginalized.、Uh, they don't have much influence. People who you know, share those views do not feel encouraged to express those views. Some people even refrain from making those arguments through internal policy memos, but instead publish them openly because they know even if, even if they submit internal policy memos, they wouldn't be well received. So to make their、uh, arguments openly may have a slightly better chance. To indirectly influence official policy deliberation, even though their arguments can gain traction in the public domain. So, in other words, I think in general the expert community has a rather strong agreement on the nature of the war, and it's it's you know the the echo chamber phenomenon is very strong. So then, when you talk about the diversity of views, is the diversity then more on how China should respond? You mentioned earlier there were a range of views. So, what is the what do you see as the most difference in terms of Chinese views on this? Is it how to respond to the war, or is it the outcomes of the war? It's across the board,、uh, from the very cause of the war, the nature of the war, the Western intentions, the Russian intentions, all the way to the impact on China and how China should respond. In every part of this <laughs> spectrum, there is great diversity of views. So it, it reflects the degree to which Chinese expert community are divided, but also it you know at the end of the day,、uh, only the、uh, mainstream view is、uh, gaining、uh, traction and is being、uh, is given space and is given you know、uh, importance. So I'm afraid, despite the diversity of views, it's very hard 
for uh, alternative perspectives to challenge the very dominant mainstream perspective. So I do want to talk a little bit about this mainstream perspective, and particularly if you think that there are any key lessons learned that are already relatively mainstream, or if there are any consensus within Beijing of what Beijing should be taking away from Ukraine, whether that means what Beijing should be taking away in terms of general foreign policy or on the military side. Are you seeing any of this right now? Yeah, there are a lot of. Debates, public domain, you know, the state-affiliated、uh, uh, research institutes, think tanks,、uh, university research centers—they are all organizing all sorts of workshops, roundtables, conferences,、uh, seminars to examine、uh, these issues you just mentioned,、uh, as well as、uh, you know, unofficial civilian think tanks. You know, there was this campaign、uh, domestically a few years ago to build. Many new、uh, think tanks、uh, in the so-called "One Hundred Flowers Blossom" campaign. So many of these unofficial think tanks are also organizing a lot of discussions,、uh, including many online meetings.、Uh, so there is a lot of debate,、uh, discussion. But in general, I think you know we need to be aware of the fact that because of the、uh, rising geopolitical rivalry between China and the West, the overall domestic sentiment is. Today,、uh, we should keep secret not only about our specific capabilities and specific policy decisions, but also about how we conduct policy deliberation, how we see things, how we make cost-benefit、uh, calculations. Even that analysis process itself is very sensitive and should be protected from foreigners and foreign countries. Which means, although we are seeing a lot of these discussions happening in the public domain,、uh, you know there is much less、uh, information released about the content of the discussion.、And、usually, when you have you know those types of events organized by、uh, research institutes, they would publish a summary of the main arguments or perspectives. But today, you usually get a summary of who participated. In the meeting, without any、uh, elaboration on the content of the discussion,、um, so I think the environment also makes it less likely for for people to understand the domestic discussion. We can, you know, the, of course, the most easily accessible content is from you know public publicly published、uh, papers, commentaries, and some you know、uh, social media、uh, posts. Some written by experts, but many written by、uh, simply netizens.、Um, so the quality of public、uh, discussion is is much lower than before. And I'm guessing since、uh, there is a desire to keep the discussion at least within Chinese experts, that there are no foreign experts invited to any of these discussions at the think tanks or workshops. Or could some foreigners be involved, or are they mainly just domestic only Chinese scholars? Well, there are、uh, some、uh, international scholarly exchanges, you know, between Chinese American experts, Chinese European experts, or multilateral uh, academic uh, conferences on, on the Ukraine war. But of course, when、uh, you know, at these international discussions,、uh, the Chinese experts will be very careful in expressing their views, and certainly will make sure they wouldn't deviate too much from official narratives and positions. And most Chinese experts still see their primary responsibility as to explain government position rather than to provide alternative perspectives. But I think it's fair to say it's much harder today to have 
uh, this type of international academic exchanges uh, for many Chinese experts who are directly or indirectly affiliated with uh, uh, state institutes, they have to go through a very uh, rigorous uh, internal approval process in order to be allowed to attend even an online meeting if there's one foreigner in the meeting, uh, let alone if they need to make comments or make presentations. So, uh, you know, it's, I, I would say that uh, despite the continuation of some online international exchanges, it is uh, the exchanges will be uh, harder to organize and also uh, less frank and uh, blunt than before. So in terms of looking at the larger lessons learned, one topic that is discussed quite a bit in D.C. is to the extent as the war progresses, the extent to which Beijing will continue to support Russia. Is that a topic that's being discussed? Do you have a sense, will there be a bottom line of which if Russia crosses, China will no longer support it or at least maintain its normal trade relations with Russia? I think this issue is really viewed uh, primarily from the geopolitical perspective and very much related to China's understanding about the nature of the war. So China sees this war as, again, Russia being forced to take action to defend its legitimate security interests. And Western countries are fueling the war, provoking it and making it prolonged. And when Russia was uh, you know, fighting the war, uh, China sees the Western countries using all sorts of illegal measures to comprehensively strangle Russia, uh, including not only providing very uh, substantial military support to Ukraine to kill Russian soldiers on the battlefield, but also use comprehensive economic sanctions and unprecedented political isolation so all this, I think, reinforces the Chinese fear that the Western countries have the will and capacity uh, to mobilize all resources and measures available to them to strangulate an enemy country that simply doesn't share the same political system as Western countries. And I think there has this longstanding concern in recent years in China that because of this uh, political uh, difference between China and the West because of the growing ideological confrontation, there might be an eventual showdown between China and the West, especially China and the United States. And that has been driving China's investment in, into comprehensive military modernization uh, for years. But because of this perceived, perhaps, you know, inevitable showdown with the West, uh, I think the fear becomes stronger today that the West might be able to use similarly tough measures or even stronger tough me- measures against China in the future. So China has to be pre- prepared uh, for this. And in this scenario, Russia must be China's most reliable strategic partner. Only Russia can provide China with the access to uh, important uh, resources, minerals, uh, f- uh, food, fuel, uh, economic support that no other country can provide. So I think this strengthens Chinese view that it cannot sacrifice its uh, special partnership with Russia, no matter what happens. I think this really dominates Chinese thinking. And of course, the Chinese top leadership, Mr. Xi, seems to very much share this perspective, and he has a very strong personal relationship with President Putin, 
And because of his personal blessing of the relationship, that really has been one key driving force of the bilateral relationship. And every official in the Chinese bureaucracy, I think, understands this top-level support of this relationship. And they wouldn't be in a position, I think, to seriously propose policies that would sacrifice or undermine this relationship. I think that really set the tone for China's relationship with Russia. And that's why China has been so reluctant to really distance from Russia despite growing international uh, pressure. I don't think China would substantially provide military support to Russia because still China has a strong interest in maintaining a stable relationship with the West. China's continuous economic growth depends on that. So providing Russia with really critical and a substantial military support, I think, uh, runs a high risk of sacrificing that important interest of China. So personally, I'm skeptical of, of China playing that role. But economic relationship is a different story. China has always been very strongly opposed to unilateral Western sanctions. And the fact that China wouldn't want to leave Russia in a very dire situation and being weakened by uh, even destroyed uh, by Western sanctions, I think, uh, serves a strong incentive for China to continue some of its existing trade and economic relationship with Russia. At the operational level, some Chinese financial institutes, banks, etc., companies might tacitly comply with Western sanctions in order to avoid direct economic costs. But I would imagine China uh, continue at least part of the existing economic relationship going forward, regardless of what kinds of sanctions the Western countries will impose on China. Of course, if if they go one step ahead in explicitly imposing strong secondary sanctions on China for maintaining this economic relationship, that may, I think, play a greater role in perhaps influencing the current Chinese calculation. I think in general, China would maintain its existing policy of trying to maintain as much existing economic relationship with Russia as possible. So we touched briefly on this, but we not, not directly. Um, you imply that how China thinks about Russia is very much reflective of how China thinks about where it could be itself in the future with respect to the United States and the West. And I think probably the scenario that we're all thinking about is Taiwan. So I wanted to get your thoughts on, do you think that there are key lessons learned that China is taking right now at the geopolitical level as it thinks about Taiwan? Is it expecting, as you mentioned earlier, that there will be as tough, if not more comprehensive economic sanctions? Is it expecting basically what the United States and Europe has done for Russia to be almost directly applicable to Taiwan, but even more than that? You know, I think Taiwan is a very important lens through which China is understanding the Ukraine war and taking lessons from it. You know, I, I think for Chinese public opinion, they generally believe that, you know, it's, it's Ukraine action that, you know, Ukraine deserves this, this, this outcome. Uh, especially the Ukrainian leadership, they, they brought this onto themselves. They, they allowed themselves to be used by Western countries. And, and the Chinese public share the same view about Taiwan. They think it's, it's all, you know, all the troubles uh, in cross-Taiwan relationship is caused by Western countries and by Taiwanese leadership. And the strong public opinion here is that for a great power, it needs to take decisive move sometimes. 
at the critical juncture in order to defend and advance its key national interests. And therefore, Chinese public generally approve Putin's decision. And they also, I think, approve a hypothetic uh, Chinese operation over Taiwan in the future for this reason. And many people, including experts here, they want to see Russia win this war in Ukraine because when they see Russian, Russians fighting in Ukraine, in their mind, they see China fighting in Taiwan against Western countries. So if Russia can win this war in Ukraine against Western support, that means China has a chance to win over Taiwan against similar Western support. I think you know there is an, another interesting parallel between the Ukraine war and Taiwan that is useful to, to note is uh, in both cases, despite the public support of taking decisive actions, there is no apparent sense of urgency in the public. You know, the, the decision to go to war in Ukraine now is Putin's decision. And in, the, in, in Taiwan scenario, despite public you know, support for unification with Taiwan, there is no sense of urgency to immediately achieve this goal in the near term. The sense of urgency seems to come, again, also from China's top leadership, who wants to leave a legacy in history and wants to promote his you know, a dream of national, a Chinese national rejuvenation. Uh, and I think this makes the situation more dangerous. The, the Ukraine war, I think, is going to put some break on this line of thinking because it shows that some of China's existing assumptions about uh, war over Taiwan may not reflect reality. Uh, people assumed that Chinese military can achieve a quick victory. They assumed that uh, Taiwanese people wouldn't put up a strong fight. They also believed that uh, China's economic uh, power could make Taiwanese people basically accept the reality after PLA taking over because China can provide them with good living standards. And they uh, didn't assume Western countries to provide a substantial military uh, support. They didn't assume enough time for Western countries to impose you know, effective sanctions. And they even assumed, at least some people and experts assumed, that if China is going to uh, take a decisive military action against Taiwan, that would help. China's national rejuvenation, because that would demonstrate to the international community that China finally is becoming a great power that is willing and capable of defending its key national interests, and that would win international respect and, and eventually make China rise. But I think all of these assumptions are going to be challenging, but of, of course, uh, I think over time, as the Ukraine war unfolds, uh, people's thinking also evolves. Because on some of these points, I actually see some different uh, reflections emerging because people now see that Western sanctions are not having a, a sustainable effect on Russian economy. Uh, so making some people believe eventually uh, China may still be able to survive uh, Western sanctions and political pressure. Again, internationally, it appears that the majority of states are taking uh, ambivalent view and position on the issue. They are not fully taking the Western position, making people believe, you know, even for international audience, China may be able to win the public opinion warfare uh, and gain international support, or at least international understanding. So I think that all of this means that uh, in the near term, China may need time to reflect on its previous assumptions 
and readjust its military uh, preparations. This gives more importance to the view that China should avoid conflict uh, as much as possible and use this time to further build up its military power. Once China is able to achieve obvious military advantage over Taiwan and U.S. forces in the region, uh, China wouldn't need uh, to fire a shot anymore because the results would already be, be decided by the Chinese military superiority. But in the near term, I think uh, you know the, the conflict of war is is less likely. Uh, I don't think there is a strategic interest uh, to uh, conduct any uh, surprise military move, especially because China also faces tremendous domestic challenges, including economic ones. But the only risk, I think, is the thinking here that the ball is ultimately in the U.S. court. If the U.S. does something provocative, China may be forced to take action, even though China's military preparedness is not as great as China hopes. Right? The recent announcement of the uh, uh, visit by uh, Nancy Pelosi to Taiwan is really you know, uh, stimulating a lot of domestic discussion. Many people are very enthusiastic, including experts, for China to take uh, some decisive military action. Uh, in response. So, you know, given how high the nationalistic sentiment is among not only experts, but uh, the general public, I think we still need to pay attention to near-term risk of conflict uh, in this region. Tong, there's just so much to unpack from what you mentioned, uh, so many great insights and points. Let me go back to a quick question on uh, Chinese public opinion to support a conflict in Taiwan. One thing that we've been seeing more and more, at least in terms of Chinese messaging to Taiwan, is how costly the war would be on the people. Is there appreciation by the Chinese public that the conflict with Taiwan will be significantly costly for China domestically too? Or is there just a, the current discussion more based on nationalism? China is broadly willing to, Chinese people are broadly willing to sustain the cost without a real appreciation of what those actual costs might be on their day-to-day lives. I have two points. One is I don't think people fully appreciate the cost of the war on their daily lives. One important reason is, of course, the narrative promoted by state media is not fully showing the impact of war on Russian people. In fact, state media and public opinion leaders, they tend to highlight the positive news from Russia, including Right, the Russian uh, currency regaining its value over time, multinational corporations pretending to leave the country, but actually making uh, sophisticated measures to stay. Russian people uh, getting alternative access to goods and resources. And uh, you know how optimistic Russian people are about their long-term economic prospect. They may uh, uh, expect some near-term turbulence, but in the, in the, near, in the mid to long-term future, most Russian people seem to expect a return to normal life very soon. When you are, you know, live in this information environment, when you, you know, hear all these positive news reports, I don't think that make Chinese people fully appreciate the cost of war. And the second point is, I think there's still this very strong and dominant thinking that, well, even if we have to uh, you know, endure economic difficulties, this is not to be uh, avoided by us. Uh, this is imposed by the Western countries. This is not our choice. 
Western countries are determined to uh, prevent our further growth uh, to you know contain us. And when the you know when China is able to continue rising and challenging the Western predominant international system, that determines Western countries will become more desperate over time, to result to increasingly illegal measures and destabilizing measures to to hurt us. So if this is forced on us, then a short hurt is is better than a long a long term hurt, which means. You know, if this has to come anyway, let it come sooner rather than later. So, for 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 such you know dominant thinking in China, and you know, I'm not sure a public resentment of the war costs would be as effective to to prevent a war as、uh, something similar in Western countries would help influence policy making. So you also mentioned the range of lessons that China might be taking militarily, right?、Uh, particularly when it comes to Taiwan, that China can't go in fast. There will be significant, potentially significant will of the Taiwan people to resist. The Taiwan people will not just welcome the Chinese. And you also mentioned that a conflict over Taiwan may not be viewed internationally as a more powerful China that will be welcomed by the international community. As you're mentioning all of this, I, I'm wondering if. You've seen anything significant in terms of authoritative perspectives from the PLA on if they've released anything since the Ukraine conflict on either their position on the on the conflict or what they are specifically taking away. Because I would assume that they're watching the conflict very closely and watching it at every level. Have you seen anything that you can really point to saying that you know this is a really authoritative change that we're seeing in the from the PLA side? It might still be early. So far, I haven't seen very、uh, interesting and unique authoritative positions and perspectives from the PLA.、Uh, their public expression of views is very similar to the MFA statements. Some of the PLA experts, when they express views privately or share articles on social media, it looks like because PLA as an organization is is more isolated from international interaction and you know more prone to influence by traditional conservative thinking. In China, they seem to listen more to traditional arguments. They tend to believe in information that is, you know, not necessarily shared and agreed with by Western countries, making me worry that perhaps PLA would develop an even more conservative interpretation of the events in Ukraine and draw even more. Uh, negative lessons as a result, but so far we haven't seen much authoritative statements. Could you give an example of what you mean by a conservative interpretation of events in Ukraine, and what is a negative lesson learned the PLA could draw? No, PLA experts, you know, on, on their、uh, social media, they like to share. You know, you know, when they share articles with their colleagues, right? You can see they they tend to share articles that. That would be viewed as conspiracy theories by Western countries, right? The you know U.S. is fueling this war, trying to prolong this war. You know, CIA plays this black hand, and they also promote arguments that basically call for China to strengthen military cooperation with Russia against Western perceived aggressiveness, taking decisive actions when necessary. 
building of power is essential for defending Chinese interests because Western countries are inherently hegemonic and embrace inherent biases and prejudices against China makes no sense to talk to them. They, they only understand the language of power. So this man, the power century mindset, this view that international uh, relation is really dominated by the laws of the jungles, you know, that type of perspective is very much, I think, prevalent among the uh, PLA experts I know of. You mentioned the language of power, and we should discuss what lessons learned China is taking away for its nuclear policy. So some worry that China is seeing Russian nuclear signaling and the subsequent lack of U.S. and NATO conventional military intervention in Ukraine as meaning nuclear weapons can deter opponents from intervention. China could then view its nuclear weapons as allowing it to engage in conventional military operations against its neighbors. Are you seeing any such discussion or interpretation from PLA experts? You know, related to nuclear is biochemical, you know, other types of weapons of mass destruction. And here, you know, we talk about conspiracy theories. And, you know, one important observation I have is many PLA of, uh, experts well, this is not limited to PLA officers, but PLA officers are included. They appear to genuinely believe you know, U.S. is running secretive and uh, illegal bio labs in Ukraine and other parts of the world to develop illegal biological weapons to conduct illegal biological research. And they do genuinely share the view that the U.S. is breaking all sorts of international norms and laws and treaty obligations when it comes to critical national interests, including you know, developing uh, strategic military capabilities. So I think you know, this, this view strengthens the, you know, the overall perspective that you know, military power, especially strategic military power, is so essential for China in the long run. And I think this view influences China's nuclear policy as well. Uh, when it comes to nuclear aspects of the Ukraine war, uh, Chinese experts are generally uh, sympathetic to Russia's uh, nuclear policy, including Putin's uh, so-called nuclear cyber rattling. Uh, it's a nuclear you know, uh, signal uh, sending through uh, conducting nuclear exercises and uh, raising alert level of, of, of the nuclear forces. But Chinese experts are sympathetic in the sense that they think it is justified for Russia to do so because the uh, you know, Russian goal was simply to deter further NATO interference and, and intervention. And uh, by the way, you know, I think this line of thinking is consistent with China's own uh, nuclear policy development in recent years. You know, China has been accelerating its own comprehensive nuclear buildup in recent years. And the reason I think people believe China is doing so is because China sees the Western countries becoming more politically hostile against China. There is also a growing risk of a military confrontation with the West. So when it comes to a major crisis with the West, China needs a bigger arsenal to deter U.S. or Western countries from escalating the conflict and to deter their military intervention if China is defending its perceived core national interests, which means China feels it is justified 
to send some nuclear signals during the crisis in order to influence the other side's military calculation and policy deliberation. I think China, you know, is also evaluating how other nuclear dimensions are taking place during the Ukraine war. You know, one aspect is, you know, the reported Russian fire uh, of live munitions near uh, civilian uh, nuclear plants which was widely uh, condemned by Western countries. But in China, interestingly, uh, many senior Chinese nuclear experts actually blamed the United States and Western countries for hyping the threat regarding nuclear, civilian nuclear power plants. Uh, they see it as a Western information campaign uh, to exaggerate the threat and demonize Russia. Many things are viewed in a very different perspective from here. Uh, and of course, people are debating uh, is, to some degree how this war, including the nu nuclear uh, dimensions, would affect broader regional and international uh, uh, proliferation threats. But that's a, 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 you know, another whole a different discussion. Thank you. We've covered a variety of topics today, and I wanted to end on one final question. How impactful is Russia's invasion of Ukraine on China's foreign policy moving forward? Is China viewing the conflict in Ukraine as a key turning point? And if so, a turning point in what ways? I think it is going to have a very significant impact on China's foreign policy going forward. Despite the initial assessment here that this war would end quickly and may you know, benefit China by extending China's period of strategic opportunity. I think the views are becoming much more nuanced and sophisticated over time. We also hear very different policy recommendations from uh, different experts. Uh, people generally now agree that uh, this war is going to have a very long-lasting and significant impact on the global uh, geopolitical landscape. But how so is the debate? Some people believe, for example, uh, Western in the U.S. would be uh, bogged down again in Europe uh, and less capable to uh, refocus on China in the Asia-Pacific. But others believe the opposite, that you know, this would demonstrate Russian military weakness, and this would strengthen European defense investment and making European countries more able to take care of European security without significant uh, U.S. investment, and therefore frees up American capacity in Asia-Pacific. Some people believe, you know, if there's a general consensus that Europe will now emerge as a new pillar, in the multilateral, multipolar international uh, system, but whether the European Peter would be closely allied with the United States or is there opportunity to drive wedge and, and uh, will European as a whole become more autonomous and develop different interests and different foreign policy directions from the United States is very much in debate how this would affect China-Russia relationship between the, uh, you know, these countries themselves. You know, a weakened Russia, is it a good news to China or is it bad news to China? A lot of debate on that too. So I think the experts are really taking time to evaluate, and they're not rushing because they know this war will continue for a while. Uh, situation will still change uh, many opportunities for dramatic developments. It's too early to draw any definitive conclusions. For foreign policy experts, including me, I think uh, we think this would be a critical juncture for China's foreign policy because on the one hand, 
China, it, it may affect China-Russia uh, partnership. China could choose to uh, further strengthen its relationship with Russia, which will have a lot of implications for China's overall foreign policy approach and also really affect uh, China's uh, international standing. But also China could use this opportunity to stabilize and even improve its relationship with the United States and Western countries who also have an interest to distance China from Russia. So, you know, which direction China chooses, you know, is a profound decision and it will have long-term impact. But in practice, I think it looks like China is trying to achieve both, uh, to preserve its partnership with Russia at the same time, to stabilize relationship with Western countries. But I think in practice, experts have debate how much that is achievable. Can China really strike a balance between these two conflicting goals? Uh, I think this is where we need to watch over China's foreign policy moves uh, going forward. Well, thank you very much, Tong. I think we probably could have gone on for another hour, but I think we'll have to wrap it up here. Thank you again for joining us.